Last, um, I don't know, several years I've been compiling a, like a two-part lesson on how we as a church can help our youth, our young people. And uh, so I want to I talk about that today. So we'll start off, it's a two-part, so I'll do it this week and then next week. Um, and there's some real practical things that we can think about. I have some statistics to share with you all that might surprise you, might not surprise you. Um, but I want to take the next two weeks anyway and just kind of go over some ways that we as a church can help our, our young people, whether you have your own teenagers, whether you are involved in our children's ministry, um, or you're just a part of this church, because we all play a vital role. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll get started. God, we thank you so much for this day that you gave us. We thank you that we have this opportunity and this freedom to come here Lord, to study your word freely, to sing our praises to you. God, this morning I pray that you would help us as we look at your word and we look at some of these facts and these, um, these issues that we face. I pray that you'd help us, that you'd guide us, and that, uh, Lord, you teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to read verses 4 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll read verses 4 through 9. There are, they'll be on the screen. Um, everybody, Does everybody have a handout? Travis was handing handouts out. Um, if you don't have a handout, get a handout. And again, we're going to talk about some practical, practical ways over the next two weeks that we as a church or as a parent or as somebody that's just involved here can help, help our teenagers, but not just our teenagers, even the younger, the younger children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. This is famously called the Shema. Has anybody ever heard it called the Shema before? And it's called the Shema because the Hebrew word for here is Shema. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Quick, um, quick aside as we're, as we're here. Jesus quotes this passage in the New Testament, right? Someone asks him, what's the greatest commandment? And what's his response? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And what does he say next? He uses a different word. He, he says, with all thy mind, right? So, quick aside... Um, in the Hebrew word, uh, in the Hebrew, this this was translated in the King James as "with all thy might." However, the Hebrew, the actual Hebrew phrase, would say "with all thy," and the word would be "with all thy every." And we're like, "What? How how would we translate that to make sense?" Well, the King James translators translated it. With all thy might. But really, the, the idea behind it is with everything that you have. And that's why Jesus, when he quotes it, it's translated differently for us in the New Testament. It's not a misquote. It's the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew definition behind it is so much more. That's why they use the word with all thy might. But it really means with everything that you have. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with everything that you have. And these words, verse 6, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, 
and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine head, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. This command that we find that, that God is giving the children of Israel, it relates to us today. God is telling the children of Israel, literally, your job in raising children, and it, it wasn't just for those who were directly in your household. It was for those in your community, those in the, the Hebrew nation. What you need to do is you need to teach them the Lord our God is one Lord. And we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. And then he goes on and says, but this is to permeate every part of your day. You're to talk about it when you're sitting in your house. You're to talk about it when you're walking on your way. You're to talk about it all the time. We see all throughout Hebrew history, as we study the, New Test the Old Testament, the children of Israel would, they would, like when they crossed the Jordan into the promised land, what did God have them do? Does anybody know? Remember, the priests walk into the Jordan, and what happens to the Jordan River? It stops, and they walk past on dry ground, right? And what did God have the children of Israel do to remember that? Collect 12 stones, and to set them up for memorial. That way, the Bible says, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? You can tell them, about the great things that God has done for you. And all throughout the Old Testament, God is reminding the children of Israel, this is something that you talk about with your children every day, because we don't want to let this next generation of children fall by the wayside. And we know that that is exactly what happened with the children of Israel. I was just reading this morning in my, in my, uh, in my devotions, I'm going through the Bible in, uh, in this year. And so, um, I just got to the book of Judges, and there's a verse in the book of Judges that says, there arose a new generation which knew not the Lord, nor the great deeds which he did to their fathers or for their fathers. And in one generation, it was so easy for the children of Israel to just walk away from all the great things that the Lord did. We have an issue that we face in Christianity today. Maybe you're aware of it, maybe you're not aware of it, but young people are leaving the church in very, very high numbers. Very high numbers. The most recent statistic states that 66% of teenagers will leave the church between the ages of 18 and 22. So that's teen and young adults. And only 50% of them will ever come back. Back when I was in youth group, there was a period of time where we averaged like 15 to 20 people regularly for like a period of two years. So I'm 33 now. So this, this was about when I was 14, uh, 15 and 16 years old. Today, so we're only talking about 16 years in the future, only four of us attend church regularly, if at all. There are a lot of factors um, involved that I've seen over my 10 years of being the youth pastor here and then really a lifetime of being in church. And there's a lot of factors that people talk about. Um, some of the factors are whether or not someone decides to go to a Christian college or not. Uh, if they go to a secular college, do they get involved in a Christian fellowship at that secular college? People that were polled about why they left the church give these reasons. The number one reason was moving to college. They moved to college and they never go back to church. 
we as, we as a church don't often think about the difficulties that people face when they go to secular college. We have a couple people in, in our church who have gone to secular college locally and have done great. Cal would be a great example, right? Someone in our church went locally to a secular college and he's done great. There are some things that have, you know, there are obviously some things that have helped him. But then we have some people that have come from outside of our area to a secular college here and have gotten very involved in our church. Major's a great example of that today. And Mike, who's not here this morning, is another example of that. Someone who realizes the dangers, right? Because there's a lot of temptations that are going to be faced. There's a lot of trials and difficulties that are going to be faced and realized we need to be grounded in a local church. So moving to college is the number one reason. Number two reason and again, this, I'm not giving, I'm not sharing this. This has been on my heart for several years. I'm not sharing this because I, I see it as a problem in our church right now. I'm sharing it because this is something that could happen and we want to be aware of it. And we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to protect these young people. The number two reason church members seemed judgmental or hypocritical. Now we, we as, as believers, we have this quick response. Well, there's hypocrites everywhere. There are hypocrites everywhere. We know that. However, the church is the last place where somebody should see someone being hypocritical. Number three, I didn't feel connected to people in my church. Many youth groups run basically as separate churches. There's no real connection between adults and, and, and the young people of the church. We need to be on guard of that. Number four, I disagree with the church's stance on political and social issues. You may be surprised that the majority of these people thought that the church went too woke. You may be surprised by hearing that. But it's on both sides. Either we're not relevant or we're too relevant. right? But the majority of people said the church is too woke. And then five, my work responsibilities prevented me from attending. My work responsibilities prevented me from attending. This study goes even further. 11% completely lose their faith in Christianity. That's, you know, just about right around 1 in 10, right? It's like, it's actually like 1 in 9, but 4 out of 10 leave the church but still call themselves Christians. Two out of ten disconnect from the church and express frustration about church culture and disconnects with society. And only three out of ten actually stay involved in church. Three out of ten. Those statistics, I would not say, are great. We, as Christianity as a whole, need to do a better job. And so what can we do as a church? What can we do to protect these, these young people? What can we do to ensure... Well, there's, there are some things that we can do, but I think one of the biggest contributing factors that I've seen and, and that go into all of these has to deal with parents and mentors. Parents and mentors. You, you may be sitting here thinking, well, I don't have a child. That's, I don't have a child at all. Or my children are grown up. Or you may be here and you have a child in youth group. The point I'm trying to make is that we all collectively as parents and as a church family, we all have a responsibility to aid young people in developing a solid, deep faith of their own based on scripture 
And re remember, the gospel is not just good news, but it's the best news. And it's, it pro it, the gospel produces real, radical life change. And if we can encourage our teenagers to develop, and our young people to develop their own faith, to grow in their faith each and every day, on their own, aside from us, aside from church, aside from youth group, but grow in their faith each and every day on their own and experience the real radical life change that the gospel provides, then we're not going to lose them because they'll have a, a, a deep faith. So today we're going to talk about three different things, and the next week we'll talk about a, a few others. So number one, what is, what is our true desire? What is our true desire as parents, as a church family, as mentors? You need to understand, like, some people have the mentality, and I'm not saying anybody here, some people have the mentality, yeah, the teenagers are going to be difficult year. The teen years are going to be difficult. So I'm just going to bring my kids to, to youth group, and the youth pastor is going to fix all their problems. I promise you, I will not be fixing all of your children's problems. I have my own problems to deal with, right? That's not how it works. Yes, we are, as a youth pastor, I and then my wife alongside helping me, we are there to, to guide your teenagers, but we have to do it with your help. Of the teenagers that we've seen from our youth group actually stay successfully involved in church, the two factors that we've seen are strong Christian parents, or if they don't have a strong Christian parent, we've seen someone from the church come alongside that, that teenager and walk with them and be a, um, be an example to them, be a mentor, be a friend to them. Those are the two things that we've seen over 10 years that, that have helped. And Kristen and I cannot do that on our own. We need your help. We need, and your, and the parents need your help. What is our true desire? Well, 3 John 4 tells us this. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. This is John speaking of those who were his children in the faith. We understand that. But each one of these young people in our church, whether they're, you know, whether they're a small child or whether they're 18 years old and getting ready to go to college, well, there are children in the faith. There are children in the faith. We're, we have a responsibility to them. There are two common mistakes that are made. Parents make these a lot, um, like in the scope of, of Christianity. Number one is, God will take care of my kids. I can't do much. Parents a lot of times downplay the role that they, that they actually have. They downplay the role that they have. They say, well, you know, God's in control. God's going to take care of my kids. There's not much that I can do. They don't listen to me anyway. That's the number one mistake. And the number two mistake is if I do everything right, my kids are going to be great. That one is also, that one's also a mistake. There is no command in scripture that says, if you do everything right, your kids are going to be great. Well, you can say, well, hold on, hold on. What, what about Proverbs? It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. We understand that Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Proverbs is not a book of do this and this is going to happen every single time. Yes, there is a much greater chance that if you raise up your child in the way he should go, he's not going to depart from it. 
But that's not a promise given to us in the Bible. It's a word of wisdom that Solomon gives us, the Holy Spirit gives us through Solomon in the book of Proverbs. But it's not, if you do this, this is going to happen. Because we've seen people who have raised their children, all of their children the same way, no matter how many children they have, yet one of them walks away. Each child has their own decision to make. We be, if we believe in a free will, then we have to believe that our children have a free will. Now, as when they're small children, our job is to control that will, right? To redirect that will. To really break that will. You understand what I'm saying? Our job is to direct them and to guide them when they're small children. And to we do that by punishment, by discipline. And then as they get older, hopefully we've done that right, so that they're starting to make decisions on their own. Even in the teen years, we let them make decisions on their own, and hopefully they're good decisions. In his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, Ted Tripp says this. He says, I have been asked, don't you think that if you raise your children in the right way, God has promised to save them? His response is, if such a promise existed, it would not comfort me. I have not raised them well enough. Remember, salvation and whether or not your children follow you, put their faith and trust in Jesus, salvation, and then whether or not they follow God does not solely rely on you. And that should be a, a breath of fresh air, like a relief, a sigh of relief for you. Because I've only been a parent for almost eight years. And the mistakes I've made are countless, right? Imagine being a parent for more than eight years, which most of you have, right? So like, I'm not up here to, to say, oh, listen, listen to me because I'm the expert. No, that's not the point. The point is we as a church, as a whole, need to make sure that we're doing this the right way. It's not completely up to us. There's two, those are the two common mistakes made. God plays a very large part. God plays a very large part. 1 Peter 1.3. 1 Peter 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his, not his mercy, but his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We cannot, as parents or as mentors, we cannot impart spiritual life to our children. We can teach them, we can train them, we can preach to them, and we have to do those things, we should do those things, but ultimately, it's God that gives new life. It's God that convicts them of their sin. And it's God that convicts them of their need of a Savior. God plays a very large part, but we have to teach them, we have to train them, we have to preach them, preach them the gospel. That's God's part, and then there's our part. There's our part. Parents play, and mentors, play a very large part in the spiritual formation of children. If we think back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, wherever you go. Write them on the doorposts of your house, he says. It's important that we talk about following the commandments of God. And it's our God-given duty as parents, if you are a parent, to train your children to follow, to follow the Lord. But parents, as I said earlier, they cannot do it alone. They need help. They need help. Young people need godly mentors. 
That's why we're having this conversation here in Sunday school and not in just a parenting seminar. Because young people need godly mentors. <coughs> but when it comes to playing our part, are you living out your faith in your daily life? Are you living out your faith in your daily life? We'll talk a little bit more um, at the end here about mistakes that we make that, that will turn people away, but it's important that we live our faith and not just tell our young people to live our faith. Have you helped a young person with their relationship with their parents and a relationship in their relationship with God? Have you ever told a young person that you're praying for them and then actually prayed for them? We have a lot of children in our church that attend Christian school, and that's a great thing. There are just as many temptations at a Christian school. They're a little different, but there are just as many uh, temptations and difficulties and trials at a Christian school as there are at a public school. I went to a, a very small Christian school. In my graduating class of three, one of us goes to church. And... Spoiler alert, it's me, right? Like, but there were people in our school who, who on, you know, outside of school hours were, were out getting high and, and drinking. I mean, th these are like, there are real temptations that even our, our Christian school kids face. Do you pray for the young people of our church? Have you told them you're praying for them? Encouragement. We need encouragement as adults. How much more do young people need encouragement? We all have responsibility to the young people in our church because they are the church. They're not the future of the church. They are the church. They're here with us. They're the church. So there's God's part. There's our part. But remember, God remains faithful. In 2 Peter 1.3, 2 Peter 1.3 according to his divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. God gives us the task, but he also gives us what we need for the task. Through, throughout my life, people have said, and it's so true, God does not call the equipped, he equips the called. How many of you felt, if you're a parent in here, how many of you felt ready? Like when you found out you're having your first kid, you're like, yeah, I'm ready to do this. I got this. I can handle this. Anybody feel that way? You did? Good for you. I should talk to you because I still don't think I got it. Like most, most people, there are exceptions. Most people are like, I don't know. I was 25 years old. I don't know what I'm doing. I think. Ah, okay. Okay. There's a caveat. Yes. What I thought and what happened, I've seen that. I've, I've definitely seen that. That's, yeah, yep, that's true. Um, but God gives us what we need. God gives us what we need. He equips us. God's word is authoritative and sufficient to address every situation we or our young person is going to face. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, 
for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be perfect. Now, this, this phrase, the man of God, this is not speaking about a pastor or, 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 or somebody. This is, this is talking about somebody who is a child of God, a man or a woman who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Scripture gives us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. It's authoritative and sufficient to address every situation that we face. And then in Hebrews 4, we see that God himself is our source of both mercy and help. Hebrews 4.14, seeing then that we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, or I could say tempted like your teenager or the young person in our church has been tempted, yet he didn't sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God himself is our source for both mercy and help, and he allows us access with boldness any time of day. So we, we see what our true desire is, and that's to have a heart of love towards teens and young people. And secondly, we have to understand the nature of our task. We have to understand the nature of our task. It is a big task. How many of you have, have raised children into adulthood? Several of you. How many of you are now doing it again? I know a couple of you are doing it again, right? We're doing it, you're doing it again. Like you're like, punishment wasn't enough the first time. Let's go for more. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. I haven't raised kids into adulthood yet, so we'll see. But sometimes we find grandparents finding themselves raising their grandchildren. Um, it's a difficult task. It's a difficult task. Our teens, our young people, are a work in progress. I mean, we're a work in progress. We are. Has anybody mastered uh, the ability to not sin? Yeah, it's never going to happen because we're constantly warring with the flesh, the Bible says. We're a work in progress. Our teens are a work in progress. But among our teenagers and our young people's work in progress, well, hormones are, are raging, right? And their bodies are changing. And they're angry for no reason, and they're sad for no reason. And I'm talking about my five-year-old daughter. <laughs> like, they're, like, they're just, like, have no control over their emotions. And then as teenagers, they can become very moody and emotional, right? I've seen that as a youth pastor for the past 10 years. Um, we did. We fostered a teenager for a year as well. That was a challenge in our life. Um, they're a work in progress. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Or no, 1 and 4. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And then in verse 4, he says, the, the reason for the proverb is to give subtlety. What does that word subtlety mean? It means prudence. To give prudence to the simple. And to the young man, knowledge and discretion. Well, what does the word simple mean? It means stupid. <laughs> It literally means stupid. 
And um, young people make some stupid decisions, right? Adults make some stupid decisions. I make some stupid decisions. If you don't believe me, which all of you probably do, but just ask my wife. We make some stupid decisions. To give prudence to the simple and to the young men knowledge and discretion. Remember, young people are beings with a soul. Young people are beings with a soul. Often, you know, like we really, our kids are, are great until they're like seven or eight or nine or ten, and then they start to hit those preteen years and they just become annoying to us, right? And we're like, oh my goodness, please just stop talking. And they just, and then they get into that teen year and then they're know it alls, and we're like, oh, come on, man. Like, I'm talking about your children because my kids aren't there yet, and I, I've dealt with all your kids, but I'm just kidding, kind of. But, um, Remember, they're beings with a soul. They're beings that were created in God's image. They're also social beings. They need relationship. The most important relationship that they could have is with you as their parent. Teens are interpreters. They understand... Better than you think, the motives behind why you do what you do. And then teens behave out of the heart. Luke 6.43, I mean, we all really do, but Luke 6.43 to 45 says, For a good tree brings not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush do they gather grapes. A good man. Out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. As anybody else, teens behave out of the heart. It's so important for us as a church, as parents, as mentors, to capture their heart to direct that heart towards the things of God so that they are producing good fruit, that they are producing things that honor and glorify the Lord. So what's our goal in these years? Well, Deuteronomy 6.2 tells us, he says that, you, that thou might fear the Lord thy God to keep his, all his statutes and his commandments, thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life. It's a multi-generational vision to help resist everyday temptation. But it also calls us to deep faith and obedience to Scripture. To teach and to train our children and those children in our church to walk in the ways of the Lord. If we can succeed in pointing young people to the Lord, to develop their own faith, and to grow in their faith each and every day, then their faith won't be shaken when it's challenged. It's okay to doubt, right? It's okay to have questions. But it's not okay for us to have a faith that's so weak that when someone questions our faith, we're just shaken to the core. The way that we grow our faith is through reading the Bible, through prayer, through having good biblical conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, it's the same way with young people. 
It's the same way with young people. I'm just like shocked sometimes by the questions my five-year-old asks us. Like we're just completely shocked by it. It's just, it's amazing. And sometimes the stuff our three-year-old comes up with. We're just like, what in the world? Like, but they're always listening, whether they're little or, or, and you may think as they get older, they don't listen. Well, they may not, they may not actually like listen and obey what you're saying, but they're listening to what you're saying and how you're saying it. First Corinthians 2, 4 through 5. Paul says, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Often when, when young people go to secular college and they lose their faith, it's because their faith wasn't their own. They weren't standing in their faith in the, wis- in the power of God. They were standing in it in the wisdom of men, what they were told from their parents and what they were told from their from their pastors. For, for years, youth groups have just been nothing more than, and not, I'm not saying our group, because we made a, when Pastor Ethan was the youth pastor, it wasn't like this. And when we became, when I became the youth pastor, we made a decision that it was not going to be like this. It's not just a time of fun and games. Yes, there's fun, and there's games, but there's a time of spiritual growth and encouragement to spiritual development in a deep, real, personal faith of their own. But just like you can't do it yourself, I can't do it myself. I need your help. Your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The teen years are transitional years. Teens should submit to their parents' authority. We, we all agree with that. Teens should submit to their parents' authority. They should. Absolutely. They live in your house. They should submit to your authority. All the instruction that's related to the heart, to friends, to God, to parents' All that we should have taught them as a child, but what if we didn't? That's fine. But it all continues to apply. If we haven't done that in our child's early years, it's not too late to sit them down and to start instructing them. It's not too late to sit them down and say, hey, listen, I've made some mistakes along the way as a parent. You know, if you admit your mistakes to your parent, to your, uh, to your child, that goes a very long way. That goes a very long way. I've made some mistakes as a parent. I've done some things that not the right way. Let me now come alongside of you and help you and instruct you. Your children are aware that change is coming. They know. Basically, like, like from the age of 16 up, they're basically adults. They're basically adults. They're going to do what they want, whether you tell, whether you tell them to do something or not. They're going, they're at an age where they're like, I realize in a couple of years, I'm out of this house. In two years, I can leave. And actually at 16, they can leave legally. We have to be careful that we've captured their hearts before it gets there. Your children are aware, the children in our church are aware that change is coming. So are you positioning yourself as a parent or as a mentor for maximum influence in the future? Listen, I'm 33 years old. I haven't lived in my my parents' house in, uh, I don't know, 10, well, I've been married for over 10 years, going on 11 years. I haven't lived in my parents' house for 11 years. My dad, my, my mom still has influence in my life. They do. I go to my parents for counsel. And many of you probably do the same thing if your parents are around. 
Parenting and mentoring young people requires grace, hard work, we know that, courage, and biblical convictions. And then lastly, I have to finish or else I'll be a hypocrite because I have been standing in the back staring my dad down each week as he goes longer and longer. I still have a whole point to get through. Their heart and your ways. Proverbs 23, 26, my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Now, let's break that down. First, we have to win our teen's heart in order to increase our influence. And whether it's, it works for teenager, teenagers, it works for young children, and it works for those that, if we're not parents, that we're going to have an effect in their life. The heart must be the target. We're not simply looking for behavior modification, but we're looking for true heart change. So do you currently have the heart of your child? Or if you're someone in here that doesn't have children and you, have, and you want to be a mentor to, to children in this church, will you focus on the heart and not just behavior modification? So what are some strategies for winning a, a child's heart? Well, love is number one. As a, so for parents, do your children know that you love them? Do you tell them that you love them? For those of us who don't have children in this room, but there are, chil- there are children in this church, there are many, my challenge is, do you love them? And if you do, do they know that you love them? Listen, don't just lecture. Listen, don't just lecture, and stay engaged in their life. But we also have to be cognizant of our ways Verse 26, he says, My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. The teen years are, Tripp says this in another book called The Age of Opportunity. The teen years are where parents or mentors find themselves saying things they never thought they would say. They find themselves reacting with accusations, guilt manipulation, and ultimatums, responding with a level of anger that they wouldn't have ever thought possible. If our goal is to teach young people to be spiritually mature men and women, then we have to examine our hearts for idols before pursuing the hearts of our children. There are some common parenting idols. Comfort. We, we let things happen just because we don't want to deal with it. Success. I'm striving for success. Well, what does success look like? Appreciation. We want our children to appreciate us. Respect. Respect has to be earned, whether it's you're a parent or a child. And control. A lot of parents love control. And they use manipulation to continue to control their children. I read a statement in a book that me and Kristen are reading on raising boys. And, uh, I mean, we were reading it. We haven't read it in a while, but we haven't finished it. It's a really good book. Um, What's it called? Wild Things? Wild Things. If you haven't read it and you have boys, get the book. It's awesome. Um, I've recommended it to several people. And it was recommended to me. There's a statement in the book that says, any guilt trip is a form of manipulation. Any guilt trip is a form of manipulation. That stuck with me. And then to finish, I want to challenge you. You are in an extremely vulnerable position as a parent or as an adult in our church. Nothing will turn a child off more than hypocrisy. And no one can see hypocrisy better than a teenager. 
Do you act one way at home and then differently at church? Your children see that. And in the past, I've heard about it. I'm not saying about anybody in this room. I'm talking about people that we've had in the past. Listen, your teenagers are not Fort Knox. They'd say, they say everything that happens. They say everything. I, I, it was funny because I gave Travis, Travis was over for, a, we had a family life group. And I'm like, man, Travis, I can't wait till your boys are in my youth group so I can text you all the things they tell me about you. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's teens, listen, like they say everything. Don't be a hypocrite. We can't just look at the young person as someone who needs change in direction. We need to humbly ask ourselves, am I willing to change to position myself to be God's instrument? Am I willing to take a look internally as a parent or as a mentor or as just an adult in this church and ask, how am I doing in engaging the young people's heart in our church or my own children? Is my goal to win their hearts or am I just looking for compliance? So that's part one. Part two will be next week, so don't miss it. Make sure you're here. Uh, it, we'll have some more practical things to talk about. But listen, it's been something that we've, we, Chris and I have been burdened with so many young people in our church, and they have so much potential. So much potential. We don't want to lose them. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this day that you gave us. God, we thank you for this group that's here today. God, I pray that each and every one of us would be challenged, Lord, as we lead the next the next generation of, uh, of people in this church. Lord, help us to love them. Lord, help us to have a heart that wants their best and a heart that wants them to follow you for the rest of their life. Pray for, for We pray for them this morning, God. We pray that in their Sunday school and in junior church, that they would be challenged to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.